Uh, for much of this week, I've actually been at uh, a convention. We have a uh, annual convention for our group of churches in BC and the Yukon called Impact. And as a group of churches, we are called Fellowship Pacific. And we get together once a year to do the business of what our network of churches uh, needs to do, as well as to get together to focus on sort of where God is calling us. And uh, as we were together, there were a couple hundred people from all across our region. So uh, from Whitehorse all the way down to Princeton and from the island all the way into Cranbrook. And so it was just a really great opportunity to uh, be together, but also to just hear stories of how God has been at work. And as we heard stories of how God has been at work in our group of churches, we also came together to sort of put out a new vision to move forward in. And we have a little tagline together as a, a group of churches is that we want to go boldly forward, uh, remembering that we are never alone. And it's a really sort of compelling vision that they gave to us. And it's this idea that uh, we are in a time and a place in history where the gospel is needed just as much as it ever has been. And in order to see people reach for the gospel in BC and the Yukon and regions that, let's be honest, aren't all that friendly towards the message of Jesus, we need to be really bold in this season. And, and there was also this reminder that though we need to be bold, though we need to go, we're also never alone. We have other followers of Jesus who are with us, not just here in this room, but, you know, gathering right now all across the province who are, who are in this. But not only are we gathered as people, but we have God with us. And so there's a lot to be really excited about. But I don't know about you, when I hear that first part, at least, to go boldly forward with the message of Jesus into our culture in this day and age, there's a little bit of me who asks, who am I to go do that? I mean, who am I to be involved in the mission of God in a really critical place and stage in history? Who am I with all my different fears and failings? Who am I to go boldly forward? Have you ever wondered that for yourself? Who am I that God should call me? Who am I that God would say, I want you to go out into all the nations to proclaim who I am, to baptize people, to lead them, to obey him in everything? Who am I to go? This is the very question that we heard Moses ask in the scripture reading that Amanda read just moments ago. As God called Moses out from the wilderness, he said, I want you to go. I want to go to you, the most powerful ruler in the land, one who's not particularly fond of you or the God you serve, and I want you to tell him to let his people go. Naturally, then Moses says, but who am I to go forward? And actually, he goes a little bit further than that. He says, who are you to say go? And what's amazing about this passage is that in the midst of that all, God speaks, not necessarily answering Moses' questions in the way we might anticipate he would, but instead he powerfully reminds Moses not of who Moses is, but who he is 
and he reminds him that he needs to go boldly forward because he's never alone. But all this is set up sort of with this moment of sort of anticipation and drama that we perhaps know where God needed to capture Moses' attention first. In Horeb, which is a region where Mount Sinai is found, you might also see it referred to as Sinai, other places, there's this popular thorn bush. This thorn bush is called the Sanctus, and it's just a popular growth that would go. And this would have been common thing to see, and except on this particular day, the bush was on fire. Again, not unusual in the hot heat, things sometimes catch on especially out in the wilderness as people travel and come and go and light fires along the way as they go. But in this particular case, some lovely AI. Uh, this is actually an AI image of what they think Moses... Why does God ask Moses to take off his sandals? And there's all sorts of speculation about this. Perhaps it's because his sandals were made from animal hide, and so because they're dead animals, they're considered unclean. And in Jewish culture, we'll know that God has a thing about cleanliness and purity as he's trying to model what it means that he's holy. But what I'm more compelled by than that is this idea of safety as God calls him to be obedient to step forward. In the wilderness, you would never uncover your feet. In the rocky terrain with all that dirty, sharp rock soil, you would never take it off. In an area inhabited by serpents who might bite at your feet, why would you want to go just flesh against soil? Especially as a fire goes. I think God wanted to invite Moses into this place because he's saying this place is holy, meaning it's set apart. And so that means that it's also a safe space. But for whatever reason that God tells him to do this, we see that there's this message that God would have for Moses that day. And that is that God, at different times and places when he's present, will set up something special for people to know that he is with them, that they are not alone. All as we go through Exodus, we'll see this begins to take place, whether it's here on Mount Horeb or whether it's later when he climbs up the mountain again to get uh, a message from God, whether it's when they go and build the tabernacle and have the place, the Holy of Holies, we'll see that there's special preparation that God will continually invite his people into before he tells them to go or how to worship him or how to participate with him and what he's calling them to. Now, as we think about that, I want to just ask you the question, how much time do you spend in preparation for being on holy soil? How much preparation do you put in to be ready to hear from God? How often do you come prepared to be fully exposed to what God wants to say to you? You can use your morning this morning as an example. I mean, some of us have 
come in, we've prepared, we've prayed at home, we've prayed in the room, we've uh, asked God to, to speak to us through the week as we've been reading along in Exodus, getting ready for this, and other times, and no judgment here, but we run into the room, and we crash down, and we go, okay, all right, Lord, let's go. How much time do we take to prepare? This will be a theme that comes in, too. Moses took the time to prepare, surely, because God doesn't rebuke him, but instead invites him and continues to speak to him. And so he takes off his sandals, he walks on this holy soil, and there God begins to reveal who he is. Who he is as Moses is God, who he as Moses is to be, and what their relationship will be like as they move forward. In verse 7 to 10, we read that God speaks. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. This isn't news to Moses. Remember, he's been living for a substantial part of his upbringing, lived in Egypt, saw the Israelites toil as slaves. And God says, I've seen this. I know what's going on. I've heard my people crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. Moses probably sitting there, "Uh uh-huh, I get it. All right. Let's go. And then God says, I'm planning on bringing these people out from this place. I'm going to take them to a good place, a, plan, uh, a land flowing, right, with commonly known as the land of milk and honey, this place that other people inhabit. But God's saying, I'm going to set that apart for you. And oh, by the way, Moses, verse 10, now I want you to be the one to go. I want you to to return from this wilderness you've been living in for 40 years after you ran away from what was happening with the Israelites in Egypt, and I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Let them go out of Egypt, release your workforce, set these people free, and allow them to go to a place where they'll receive great blessing. Um, but God, who am I? Who am I that I should go? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I mean, I ran away from there long ago. Remember, God, last time I was there, things didn't really go as planned. I tried to help some Israelites. I ended up in my anger killing a guy, and then I ran away. Remember, that's why I've been here. That's why I'm standing on this soil out in the wilderness far away from my adoptive mom who lives in the palace back there, uh, towering above the Israelites. This is what I'm doing here. It didn't go too well, God. So why should I go? Why should I be the one to go? Like, I, I don't have it within me, God, to go. This question makes a lot of sense to me. It's the same question that I ask as we're sitting at convention asking, talking about this message of going out into a hostile world to advance the gospel in BC and the Yukon. Who am I to go? Moses surely has a whole lot of insecurities. I mean, not only did he kill a guy last time he tried to to intervene, and so he knows I got a bit of a rage issue that I probably need to get under control, but he also has a whole life of trauma. 
I mean, from right at his birth, he was put in a basket by his mother and sent down a river. Now, I mean, we look at that story and we go, well, it makes sense. She was trying to save Moses and trusting that God would save her son, but be the son for a second. My mom sent me down the river, left me all alone. I don't even know if I'm wanted. Like, I mean, really, if she wanted to save me, couldn't she have just taken me and my brother and my sisters and our family just have gone and run away somewhere and we could have stayed together? Who am I? No one wants me. He lived his life in Pharaoh's house as an Israelite. Even though he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, he knows I've lived my whole life as an outsider. I'm a nobody. I'm never really in the know. I'm really never in the mix. I'm really not someone of significance in a real way. I've got imposter syndrome. Moses has every reason why he would ask, who am I? And so do we, don't we? Every single one of us can stop when we hear a call from God on our lives and say, but who am I? Whether it's from something that's taken place in our upbringing to a failure we've had as we've tried to share our faith somewhere along the road to, to one of any other number of things. I'm not good with my words. I just struggle to think. I don't know enough. I just don't have the right answers. I, I don't really fit in in this community or in my workplace or in my school or even really in my home, my own family. There's this like weird relationship that I have with them. Like, who am I? to go into those spaces and bring the message of God. We ask this question sometimes because we also want a defense against the scary thing that God calls us to, to step out in faith and obedience, to go where he wants us to, knowing full well that it will be uncomfortable as we go. I think it makes sense for all of us then Moses said, who am I to go? But look at what God's response is in verse 12. So God says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain that we're on now, Moses. Look at this answer. It's really interesting. God doesn't tell Moses why he's the one to go. Now, there's actually a lot of reasons why Moses might have been the right person to go, even though Moses didn't think about this. I mean, he's both ethnically Jewish, but culturally Egyptian. He's been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, so there's a reason why his presence would be entertained in the presence of the king of Egypt. I mean, he knows, even though he feels an outsider, he knows the culture and the customs and the ritual and the things that you need to do as you go before the Egyptian king. He knows how to do that in a way that won't get him killed on his way up to the throne. So really, if there's one person in all this region that has a real connection on both sides, that has a real reason to go, it's Moses. But notice God doesn't say any of that. God doesn't reinforce to Moses who he is. 
Instead, God reinforces who he is. God says, who are you to go? You're the one who's with me. I will be with you. God's answer to Moses' question of identity and strength and power isn't to answer the question, who am I? It's the answer to the question, whose am I? God says, you are mine and I am with you. In this moment of doubt and fear that Moses faces, God chooses not to explain everything away. Instead, what he chooses is to remove Moses' fear by inserting his presence. Who's ever had to help a child deal with the boogeyman or the monster under the bed? Anyone? I see a few hands here. We've done it. A lot of us parents or camp counselors or aunts and uncles or grandparents, right? We've often seen the kid who has this like sort of scary experience or something in my closet. I saw something move. I think there's something under my bed. I I watched a movie I shouldn't have and, and now I'm not ready to go to sleep in the dark. Well, how do we help a child with that? We can do the the classic lift up the bed skirt and, oh, nothing there. We can go over to the closet doors and close them. We can put on the nightlight. But really we know that that's not the best way to take care of the boogeyman. The best way to get rid of the monster under the bed is to assure a child that they have no fear because you are there. Children have this amazing ability at a young age to just trust their parent because they don't see our flaws and our failings in the same way. They just trust in who we are because we provide for them. And so the best thing I know that I've had with my girls is actually just to say, don't worry. If the monster's there, you just come calling me and I'll come deal with them because the boogeyman ain't nearly as tough as me. I'll tell him where to go. Right? This is how we deal with the monster under the bed. The thing that really has no power in the life of that child. Even though the child thinks this is the biggest thing, we know that there's something bigger. Moses surely thought that the Pharaoh was the boogeyman. He knew what Pharaoh could do. He'd seen the Pharaoh before who was able to slaughter hundreds and thousands of children just because he didn't want anyone to threaten his throne. He didn't know what this Pharaoh was up to, but he knew that that Pharaoh could do anything. But God says, that Pharaoh's got nothing on me. You send him to me, and I'll show him what's up, and there will be nothing to fear because I go with you. We'll see this as we journey through the story. We'll see this with the ten plagues that God sends on the nation of Egypt. Each one a reference to one of Pharaoh's gods who believe, who Pharaoh believes has the power to consume Moses and the Israelites. And every time through Moses, God shows this is laughable. This is laughable. Pharaoh's no boogeyman. He's just a pretend scary monster who sits on the throne 
but that's not even the real throne. I'm the one who's in control. And so instead of denying Moses' fear or his identity crisis, he says, let's go. And he gives a promise along the way. In fact, this is the only promise we see in this verse that Moses will receive from God. Now, he receives stuff other places in other books, but here in the Exodus story, we see the only promise that God makes is what takes place there. It says, and I, God said, will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God says, I've already taken care of it. You're already going to go, and Pharaoh's eventually going to let everybody go, and you're going to come and worship me here in the very place you stand not too long from now this is the same thing jesus did when he sent out his disciples but when jesus commissioned his disciples he said i want you to go out into all the world proclaiming the good news of who i am baptizing people in the name of the father son and holy spirit teaching them to obey everything that i have commanded you and as you go I want you to know that I am with you until the very end of the age. And he makes another promise. And one day, there's going to be a promise fulfilled that we will stand together again and you will worship me here in this place. God calls every single one of us to do something. As followers of Jesus, he says, I want you to build and expand on my kingdom in wherever I have placed you in this world And many of us are honest and we say that's an awful scary thing. Who am I to go? Who am I to do that? What on earth is going on? But God says, I want you to hear that you can replace that fear with me and my presence. And I want you to look back and see what I've done for Moses and trust that I can do the same for you. Now, if we read this from a nice Christian lens, we go, ah, that should have been enough, right? That should have been enough. That that should have been gold. Moses should have just been like, all right, let's go. Off we go. But look at what actually happens in verse 13. Moses stops after God said all that, and he says, well, suppose I go. Now, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Now, Moses' response to God's presence in a non-burning bush as he tells him that he has the power to go and deal with the boogeyman named Pharaoh is, all right, let's say we do this thing. Like, suppose something incredible. He reveals himself in a unique way that only makes sense to him. I mean, when you and I define ourselves, we say I am and then we sort of fill in the blank, right? If I was to define myself, I could say a lot of different things in different situations. I could say uh, I'm a husband, I am a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a softball coach, I'm a sushi lover. 
I could say it in all sorts of different places and in different ways. I could say, I am blank. And we all do that in different ways, but God doesn't. God does something totally different. He doesn't define himself by things outside of himself. He doesn't try to find common language to articulate himself to a point where you can put a period on the end. Instead, what God says is, I am who I am. In Hebrew, you could also read this as, I be who I be. Or I will be who I will be. You see, in this, God's, in God's self-disclosure of who he is, he refers to all things. If you were a grammar geek, you'd see that the, the Hebrew syntax right here tells us that he's saying, I am in past, present, and future. And he does that and expands on that a little bit more so we can start to, to see what he thinks. As he explains who he is to Moses and who Moses can say who he will be, he actually speaks to all three of those things. He speaks to the past. He says, I have always been who I have always been. No, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Israelite people will know who I am because I have been faithful to their forefathers again and again and again. He speaks in the present to Moses. I am who I am. I will be exactly what I want to be in every moment along the way. Right now I'm revealing to you, myself to you in the supernatural bush and I'm going to give you no other reference outside of that is who I want to be. But he also speaks to the future. I will be who I will be. Listen, he says, I will save my people and I will lead you to a promise that I've already set up for you in the future. First, worshiping on this mountain again. Next, I'm going to bring you to a place where you can be in the land of milk and honey. And then after that, for generation after generation, I will be who I'm being right now. Meaning, I will continue to save all along the way. From generation to generation, this will be who I will be. Now, without getting too deep into all of this, I do want to point out that, that this statement, I am who I am, is where we get our language of the Lord. You know, we throw that churchy word around a whole lot. We say, oh, Jesus is Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus. What are we really saying when we say that? We're saying this ancient Hebrew name of I am. God is the one of past, present, and future who will save. God is the one of past, present, and future who will meet with me. God is the present of past, present, future. God will continue to do all these things long after me. The Hebrew term is Yahweh. This is what we say. We, you've maybe heard that. Now, if you were an, a Jewish person, you would never say that name. Instead, you would say the name Adonai. Because this is so serious to the Jewish faith, this term of Lord, I am. They never want to mispronounce it or say it in a potentially blasphemous way. They never want to put a period on the end of the sentence of who God is. And so they never say this thing. Instead, they call him Adonai, which is another term, which means master or Lord. This is a sacred word that... I really have a respect for the Jewish people for continuing to carry. 
You know, we're very flippant with how we refer to God. We don't really put a whole lot of weight into the things we say to him and the way we address him. But here God wants us to understand the weight of who he is. He is God in all things. He will be who he will be in the way that he wants to be from generation to generation all the while saving his people. He saved Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He saved the Israelites out of, the ex- out of Pharaoh's captivity into the Exodus. He saved them as they fled away and Pharaoh chased them again. He saved them again from starvation in the wilderness. He saved them again as they went into the land of milk and honey and had to fight and contend with all those people who lived there. He saved them again when he sent his only son to die upon the cross so that in his name, I am the Lord that people might continue to be saved today all the way until he returns again. It's really easy for us to read this sort of stuff and say, who cares about this language that was put there 4,000 plus years ago? But it matters because it is what God invites us into. Pay attention again, end of verse 15. This is my name forever. The name that you shall call me from generation to generation. When we ask the question, who am I to go boldly forward, to bring out about the things that God wants me to bring, whether it's in my place of work, in my family, in my school, in anything that I'm doing, question should never be who am I but whose am I whose am I I'm with I am I'm with the Lord of everything the one who can be what he wants to be the one who is always saving from generation to generation every time we hear the name of Jesus every time we use that that word in in church in our life where we say the Lord We should actually be reminded that we have a God who has committed himself in relationship to his people and will continue to be saving and providing. We're going to see this again and again as we go through this book of Exodus. We have this wonderful picture, even more now than these Israelites ever had then. In scripture it says, the name of God is, by how, is how we are saved. It's in the name of the Lord that we are saved. The name of God is the one who has the power to accomplish all things far beyond what we can ask or imagine. It's the name of God by which we receive the gift of eternity. Some of us right now are in places where we are in the wilderness spiritually. We're like Moses before he encounters God or the Israelites before God has set them free, except we're, we're like that spiritually, not necessarily physically. We're in need of someone to save us from ourselves and our situations. As scripture says, though, there's this good news. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, anyone who calls on the promised I am will be saved. 
Just as God saved the Israelites from their physical bondage, he frees us from our spiritual chains. The weight and the hold back that sin has on us that will lead us to the grave separated from him is always there unless we call on the only one who can save, the great I am. God invites us in. He says, I want you to set aside your sin, just like Moses took off his sandals. I want you to trust fully in me. I want you to obey everything that I have commanded you to do, and then you will see. You will see the fruition of the promise that I have given you. You will see, in Moses' case, all these people who were in slavery worshiping me in the wilderness. And then you will see them get to enter into the promised land. In the same way for us, God says, you will get to worship me. You will get to experience the fullness of my presence. You will get one day to be in my presence for all of eternity. A new heaven and a new earth when I restore all things. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now for some others of us, we're in this place where we know what God wants from us. But we've done one of two things. We've either left it as an intellectual thing or we've left it as a thing where we put ourselves at a distance from it by saying, who am I to do that? We don't feel super confident. We don't feel well prepared. But I want to remind you of, that you have everything you need. God doesn't explain it all away. He doesn't ex- tell you right now how he's going to provide all these things. He doesn't explain what parts he's already put in front in your story so that he can bring all these together. Instead, he reminds you of the one most central thing. He says, I am with you. I am with you. And so it doesn't matter who you are. I have called you. I have prepared you. And I will bring you to the place you need to be. If you need encouragement, keep reading along in Exodus with us. This is how we see how God used a wildly incompetent and flawed man to do incredible things. And in the same way, though we're never like Moses and our circumstances won't be the same, we won't have the same flaws, we won't go through the same things, God wants you to see that through his presence and the things he can do through flawed people, Through you, he can accomplish great things. I don't know what every one of us is going through right now, but what I want to invite us into for a moment is an opportunity just to to sit and reflect. I'm going to read for us all uh, a passage, a couple verses out of Isaiah 43. The words are on the screen. And after I read them, I just want you to just silently think to yourself, about the situation where you find yourself, about the place where you are, maybe the questions you have about your identity, maybe the questions you have about who God is and what he can bring. And then I just want to invite you to bring it to the Holy Spirit's attention. Bring it to him to allow him to speak into the places that you most need to hear from him. And then we'll pray together and then we'll respond in worship. These are the words that the Lord has spoken. He said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. 
For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior.